Radio. Love and the personal stages of development. A talk by James Parker at the Immaculata Mission School 2017, held at the Launceston Church Grammar School in Tasmania. Just very quickly, a little bit from what I shared last night, I really want you to understand the fact, and a bit about what we've just been doing this morning is, God our Father respects each one of us more than all the respect that others in the world have for us. You need to understand that. Some of the stuff I spoke about seemed kind of really scary, and it brings stuff up. And I tried to give you, in some ways, almost 30 years of my spiritual journey, to some extent, in about an hour and a half. But I want you to know this, is God respects you more than you respect yourself. That's what's crazy about it. You think, hang on, if I let him come in, he might you know, be disrespectful like others have been disrespectful. That's why I'm going to share with you about our cycles of development today because we've picked up all these bits that stop us from being totally free and abandoned to what God's love is all about. A few little things have just been hitting me this morning as, and I wanted just to, to raise them before I dive into doing this little bit of teaching here this morning. I think these are, these are important. They've been on my mind. Um, I, come, I, re- I didn't realize this until this morning, strangely enough, um, which might seem crazy, but I talked about coming from a rural mining area in the north of England. And um, the local people there, we still use the word thee and thou. Are they coming out tonight? What are they doing? And literally, it's part of our conversation. And it's a really intimate way that people talk to each other. And sometimes I think we see the word thee and thou, and God is all the way over there. And God was reminding me that even in the midst of my upbringing and and, and the friends and family I love and the rest of it back home, they use the word thee and thou regularly. So sometimes, yeah, I think the Lord is reminding us, I'm calling you into deeper, deeper intimacy with me. Now, one of the things I love about this uh, school of mission was lots of things I love, most of you guys, first of all. But I love the adoration. I love the adoration. Now, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it talks about how God gathered the soil together and he formed man in their own image and likeness and then breathed life into man so that he became a living being, it said. How do you imagine life gets breathed into somebody? Kind of nostrally mouth-to-mouth stuff, isn't it? Yeah? I guess so. Do you know what the word adoration means? To bow, yeah, to worship, but mouth-to-mouth, that's it. Ad, it's like ad oral, if you like. But when we come to adoration, we are literally in mouth-to-mouth with the Lord. One of the Latin words for mouth is ostium. O-S-T-I-U-M. It's where we get the word host from. In other words, when we come to the Eucharist, we are mouth to mouth, receiving life. The Lord is gathering us into his presence, and there he's breathing, mouth to mouth, making us into the living being that we're created to be. So whenever you think of adoration, it's not, oh, another hour and a half adoration. It's like, oh, at last. (laughs) Give me the mouth to mouth. Bring it on, you know? Kiss me, Lord, and quick, you know? <laughs> see the hats? Kiss me quick. That's it. Just have to see my lover. Come and kiss me, Lord. That's, you know, that should be our attitude towards Master Eucharist. That's it. 
Obedience. Ob audire. Obedience comes to those two Latin words, ob audire. It means to listen. So much of what I was saying to you last night, you know, um, I told you, I kept saying I'm stubborn, I'm a sinner, and I am stubborn, and I'm a sinner, but I know this, I'm learning this. Obedience. When God asks of us, when he invites us, it means, hey, I've got something better or the best that's prepared for you. So when God says to me, go and buy an air ticket and fly to Syria and find your father, I'm like, well, Ahmed in the Middle East, are you kidding? He's like, no, I'm telling you to do it. So I did it. I went back and one of the first people I met was a friend from the BBC and I went through the whole story and he's like, oh, I wish I'd taken a camera crew. This is what TV's made of. I said, but this is what God is made of. In some way, it wouldn't have worked if that happened. But I'm saying this to you. We've used the word obedience. It's come up time and time again, even today. And I invite you, like Mary, to say, let it be done to me according to what your word is. If you're asking it of me, you've provided already for it. It's already happened in you. I'm just going to step into the blessing that you've got planned for me. Satan said to me for a long, long time, he kept saying to me, well, once upon a time, James, you did this. You were stuck in masturbation. You were a porn addict. You know, you were fantasizing about him and her and all these different things. Well, the hymns were mostly hymns to begin with, let's be honest. You know, and all the rest of it. And he was constantly saying, once upon a time, you did this. Once upon a time, you did that. I said, Lord, he said, it felt like a battle against my mind. And Jesus said, James... Tell him my once upon a time story. Once upon a time, Satan, Jesus shed his blood on the cross. Do you want me to finish the rest of the story, Satan? He will soon flee. Because <laughs> he knows he's not happy ever after. Just a few little tools for you here. The other thing I want to say um, is... We can turn our time in sin to time in praise. When I was working with addicts, you know, which I put myself into that camp very much, many different men and women, I think at one point we had 48 on the sex addicts course that I was running. I loved my time with those men and women because we all had no choice but just to rip off our masks and say, <laughs> I'm a real mess. <laughs> God came and met us there in our mess. You know, somebody say, oh, I just spent two hours watching porn and blah, blah, blah. I'd say, okay, well, go and, go and spend two hours going for a walk, getting your body healthy. You know, take your rosary beads with you and pray. Or put on a CD and spend two hours worshipping the Lord. Actually, spend two and a half hours worshipping the Lord. Because the more that you turn, the time you spend in sin towards praise, Satan will soon start thinking, hang on a minute, I don't want him to sin for half an hour. He's going to praise for 45 minutes afterwards. <laughs> Do you understand? Because if we're not careful, for most of us, we are locked in this thinking of the world. That's what our reading was about today in 1 John. And yet it said, we know that we belong to him. We know that we belong to him. So in other words, let your sin bring you to the son, to the son of God himself. Another very quick thing uh, before we dive into this talk as well, we will get to it. Is so often the message that we've had, particularly often from the church, and I say the church, it, it, 
I don't think it's any individual at all saying it. it's just kind of a way in which, again, Satan has sought to try and lead us away from the truths of who we are in Christ. Is this? It says, if you behave yourself and if you believe in the Lord, then you can belong in the family of God. The opposite, my friends, is true. That first reading said, you already belong in Christ. Guess what? Your ticket's been paid for. The blood has been shed. You Whoever you are, wherever you are, you belong. Your home is in Jesus Christ. And he's inviting you to believe in him. And if you keep doing that and you seek to be faithful and you take on that place of belonging and you take on that, you're willing to walk the journey of faith and say, Jesus, I want to trust in you. Increase my ability to trust in you. Increase my faith in you. Do you know what will happen? Your behavior will change. Because for most of us, we're stuck. Somewhere down the line, we're stuck in some behavior. It can be gossip or bitchiness or envy, whatever. For ladies, it tends to be much more sort of an inner heart thing. For guys, it tends to be more of an action thing because women are more from the heart and men are much more doers, etc. But whatever it is, we, Satan wants us stuck to say, your behavior is wrong, therefore, you'll never really believe and therefore, you'll never belong. The opposite is true. You already belong. I keep inviting you to believe. And I assure you, you will see change in your behavior. And if you don't, God is just increasing your faith to keep believing in him anyway. It's okay. Even Paul had um, a thorn in his side as well. Okay, let's dive in the talk, shall we? <laughs> now, I'm, I'm very aware that some of you have heard this talk before, or aspects of it, but, uh, but Mother asked me to do it, and if Mother asks... Mother knows best. You've watched all watched Tangled. Mother knows best. Anyway, um, <laughs> is she here? Yeah, she's got to go on. If I want to, Mother, I love you. I love you. You're great. No, I've already digressed. Mother, don't you worry. <laughs> hey, listen, and this is, and part of my, the, the talk, but I didn't mention this last night, it was integral. Listen to me, men, particularly men. This was integral to, my, to really stepping into my manhood. There came a point at which I had to go and look both of my mothers, my adoptive mother, my birth mother, both of whom I love dearly, and they've got a great relationship, those two ladies. It's been beautiful. I had to look both of them in the eyes and say, hey, what, do you know what? I love you. I use you the example. I love you, but today I'm cutting the apron strings. I want you to suggest to me anything you want to suggest, anything that comes to mind, anything you feel God is saying, please deliver it to me but do expect me to ignore it. And I said that because what I realized is, you know, I, I want the wisdom of my mothers in my life, but I have to take responsibility for myself as a man. And if we as men don't cut those apron strings and step into manhood, we're still going back to mum when we're 40, 50, 60, saying, can you give me some pocket money, please? And they need us to be responsible for them and to be responsible for the children below. That's why if you have not taken Mary into your heart as a man, I don't honestly believe that you can truly live the fullness of manhood. I don't believe that. I don't believe it. Because, and also you'll keep looking to a woman to try and be everything that she cannot be for you. Ultimately, as it says in Tobit, you know, I come together with my sister, etc. Well, it wasn't his sister, sister, as we understand sister, but it was his sister in eternity. And you realize you can't be everything to fulfill me. I can't live if living is without you. Load of rubbish. You know, it is a load of rubbish. But that's what the world sings. 
Sheryl Crow saying, you know, lie to me and I'll believe you. I'm like, what a lot of rubbish. Let's get another talk. Thank you, mother. <laughs> oh, you know who I am. I just wanted to, um, that's me and my mad daughter. That's not my real hair, incidentally, in case you're worrying. <laughs> just very quickly, some of the things last night, because if you didn't pick up on this, what happened is, remember, I began my life with a sense of shame. Let me break open the word shame and guilt for you. The word shame, which we never talk about because it makes us feel shame and therefore we feel ashamed, therefore we don't talk about it. The word shame basically dictates to us who you are is wrong. <gasps> Sorry, we don't talk about shame. Have you ever been walking along and you tripped over the curb and you're going, oh, you stupid fool. We've all done it. We've turned in on ourselves and said, there's something, there's something wrong with you. There's something not quite right with you. Jesus took all of that shame. Anything that makes you question your dignity for eternity, anything that makes you question that, Jesus took it to the cross. There's no other message from what I shared with you last night is Jesus took all my shame to the cross. I didn't just have shame, so I felt that who I was was wrong. I then experienced rejection, which then made me think, well, then I must be wrong because now I feel rejected. Now, my mother wasn't really rejecting me, but I perceived myself in the core, in my own, in my gut, I perceived myself to have been rejected. I felt disconnected. If you're in an incubator, you've got nobody picking you up and cuddling you. And for me and my twin sister, there was nobody there saying, come on, little fella, come on, little girl, you can do this, you're going to live. I felt disconnected through being fostered. I had a kind of my first set of parents. It was all very wobbly, but then I was taken away from them and put into an orphanage. I was taken away from them and put to, to be adopted. There's no wonder I'm like, whoa, this mum and dad stuff. I don't think I trust it very much. <laughs> you can understand why. No sense of permanence. Through my abuse, I had a loss of dignity, a perverted vision of myself, and there's no wonder. I actually said last night I was raped by two teachers. There was a third one. I didn't mention that. That was when I was 18, but I was an adult at that point. Um, there's no wonder that I came out as being gay. And we know all those little bits there, I just want to move on. So, what does our journey into adulthood look like? We have a challenge in our world today because we have the word love. No, I love all of you, but I'm not in some great intimate relationship with all of you. I also love ice cream. I like getting mouth to mouth with ice cream, I've got to be honest. Anyway. <laughs> Great mouth to mouth there. I love that. You know, I also love wearing T-shirt and shorts. Because I tell you, I couldn't wear T-shirt and shorts until I was about 21. Because I hated my body so much, I had kept it covered all the time. That's why I'm so pleased I didn't have to live in Australia as a child. Um, but there are four different words for love. I was sharing earlier with um, uh, young man Jean here that uh, I, for some time I lived in French-speaking Canada, in the, in the north of Canada, in Quebec. Uh, and the Inuits, there are a lot of in, uh, Indians and, and other reserves around there. And uh, the French Canadians have a number of different words for snow. The reason is because they've got dry snow and wet snow and thick snow and light snow. We've just got the word snow. And most of you have never seen it. <laughs> but there are four words for love. And most of us have not understood these four words for love and been able to break these words open as well. Pope Benedict was often breaking open these words about love in his teaching as well. Those four words come from the Greek agape, storge, philia, eros. And very simply put, agape is that eternal love 
of our Heavenly Father. And of course, that maternal love comes through God himself, and, and Mary is a conduit of that. The church is a conduit of that as well. Storge's parental love, Philia's sibling peer love, and Eros is covenant love. It's important to also understand that there are developmental layers to our sex, to being male and female. Our world says, and, and the work that Satan is trying to do is to say that is not true. Ultimately, what Satan wants to do is he wants to get rid of the word. The word that comes and cuts us like the double-edged sword between the joint and the marrow, between the soul and the spirit, as it says in the book of Hebrews. That same word that restored me and is restoring me even this very moment to become the man that I've been created to be. But also as sexual identities, which are only one aspect of us, but a key aspect in us knowing what it means to be human. Because it's through our sexual identity that we begin to understand and to reflect who God himself is. Hence the reason why it says in the book of Genesis, in our beginning, it says, male and female, he created them in their own image and likeness. And deep down, the work that Satan wants to do in our society today is to say there's no such thing as male and female. Then we haven't got an understanding of God the Father, or of Mother Mary, or Mother Church, or of Holy Father. If you're from ACT, Canberra area, you may not know this, but uh, the words mother and father no longer exist on birth certificates. It's parent one and parent two. Very similar in New South Wales. I'm told that you now have to request to have mother and father put on there. And there's a big push now for uh, birth certificates to have three or even four parents on there. Um, or to be able to have mother, mother, or father, father. In other words, there's absolutely no sign of mother for the two, when it's two fathers, or any sign of father when it's two mothers. That is a work of Satan deliberately trying to extinguish from us an understanding of what it means to truly be in our own, and healthily in our own sexual identity. And there's also the power of interactions in our lives that forms us. And basically they can be called walls, gates, and towers. Sister Mary Emanuel has absolutely no idea of the stuff I'm talking about. And she brings these songs up, or whoever's choosing them. It's just Holy Spirit inspired. We've been talking about bringing those gates down, opening up the gates. I'm like, yeah, that's it. I mean, I'm literally weeping in worship. I'm jumping about here, but I'm like, I'm going to be a blubbering mess. I just love what you're doing here today, you know? That's another thing the Lord wants to bring you, a freedom of your heart, that you can weep wherever you are. And you can laugh and roar your head off wherever you are. And you can step into people's sadness and really feel it. And when you're angry and you're righteously angry that you do something about that righteous anger and that it does get expressed healthily to make a good in the world. And that when you have joy, everybody's affected by it. Isaiah 54, 1 to 2 says this. It says, for the mountains may depart and the hills disappear. He says, the Lord says, my kindness will never leave you. My kindness will never leave you. Who wants the, the Lord's kindness to leave them? Oh, good news, eh? Oh, my afflicted people, storm-tossed and troubled. Anybody relate to that? I will rebuild you, says the Lord, on a foundation of sapphires. And make the walls of your houses from precious jewels. He says, I will make your towers of sparkling agate and your gates and walls of shining gems. In other words, everything about you 
about me is called to be radiant and to glisten wherever we are. We are to be like diamonds. Even in darkness, we bring light somehow and a glimmer comes off us. Don't ask me how. But that's what the light of the world does. That's what he's promised for us. So he's promised for you and for your life. But we all have walls and gates and towers. What do they look like? We build walls around our emotions and our feelings and we hide pain and we shield ourselves from further hurt. That's what the walls are like. But then we have gates that we build from past neglect. Neglect means there's something we've not been given. Should have, something we should have had. And abuse, something that we were given or something we experienced that we didn't want to or should not have experienced. Past neglect and abuse cause us to gate off segments to stop the feelings of pain. That was me shoving all my stuff down, moving towards pornography, moving towards alcoholism, moving towards workaholism moving towards even being on the stage a lot and the rest of it, not having any idea. I was always playing the part of somebody I wasn't because I didn't know who I was. And Towers, eight developmental stages of life, each building on the others. If, if they're not built healthily, they can leave us feeling wobbly. And that's what we're going to look at today. What does the tower of your life look like? Because it's all very well going to adoration and building a prayer life. And you know it's important to have this intimacy with God. But you're thinking, what's all this about? It's about letting him look at you, look deep into you, and to let you look deeply into him. And he wants us, as it says in John 10.10, to live life and to live it to the full. You still breathing? Anybody not breathing? Put your hand up. Oh, no, you can't. You'll be dead. Okay. The very fact that you're breathing means God is with you. Because we all know that these earthly bodies, every one of these bodies will die at some point. But God is sustaining life in us. Don't doubt the fact that he's not with you. So let's go through some of these stages of life. This is what a healthy cycle of development looks like. And I'm asked, Holy Spirit, I pray even now as I'm talking this through, you'd reveal to my brothers and sisters here the stages where we've got stuck, where we've experienced neglect, we haven't had what we should have had, or you show us where we've been abused, and that's a strong word, but where things have happened to us that we didn't want or should not have happened to us, that we can bring these to you. Prayer's about bringing all these areas into the intimacy with the Lord, and we're going to do a little bit more of that later on as well. So stage number one, it's important. I mean, you need a sperm and an egg, basically, to create a child. That's why this mother, mother, father, father, parent, one, parent, two thing is ridiculous, Every one of us is created by the coming together of the male and the female. I really will start questioning all the, all the things I talk about and speak about and teach about if you can find two women who can make themselves pregnant or two men who can become pregnant of, just on their own. Then I'll, well, anyway, <clears throat> let's leave that bit. Parents are important, both important. It's important the child in the womb is known, knows that it's wanted, that it feels the world is a good place and that the world is a safe place. Mom is to be a calming being influence on that child's life. And dad's role, his role is to protect mother as well. It's a time of waiting, a time of being excited, a time of rejoicing. If you didn't have excitement and rejoicing around your life and around your time in your mom's womb, mom says it was a really tough time and blah, 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 you may not be experiencing life in its fullness Actually, you might experience life in a quite a shallow way. The Lord would like to talk to you about that. 
and he'd like to minister to you there. The thing is, this is in the womb. Remember we talked about John leaping in Mary's womb. That's what John, no, John was leaping in Elizabeth's womb. Let's get that right, ain't I? Hey, you know, when Jesus, the presence of Jesus came into his midst in Mary's womb. Okay, I'll go home now. No, um, <laughs> the womb's important. And the love that we receive in the womb is also important. And God wants to dialogue with us about that. Now, if you come out of the womb thinking, I'm only kind of 50% loved, and I'm looking at zero to 100%, it's a very two-dimensional way of looking at things when life is at least four-dimensional. Actually, it's eternally dimensional in God's eyes, of course. So what happens is zero to 100%, if you come out and you feel 80% loved, basically that is the foundation of how you're going to step into the next phase of life. Between zero and three and four years, storge love is deeply apparent to us that parental love. If dad has died or daddy's not around, please God, there's another father figure. If mum has died or mum has abandoned you, etc., please God, there is another mother figure, but there will be wounding if your own biological parent has in some way departed from you. I've worked with many adoptees, and many of them have said, the age of 40 now, I don't need to look at this stuff, don't need to look at it, 50, and I'm okay. Then at 58, they have a breakdown and say, my life's a mess. Let's look at your stuff. And often they begin to get well when they look at their stuff as well. Parents are still important. It's a time when we intuit, we learn things. In other words, you know, you're crawling around the place, you're learning what they think. What's this little brown thing here? You've got to touch it. And someone goes, don't touch that. It's dog poo. <laughs> we all learned not to touch it, didn't we? Where did we learn that? Somewhere down the line, somebody taught us you don't touch that stuff. But there's also other things we learned. We learned it's a good idea to clean your teeth. And now we regularly do it. We, we intuit that's part of something we do each day. Mom's role is to give a sense of being. When we're born, you, you watch a mother with a baby. That's why I'm so pleased you've all had your phones taken off you. God bless you. Uh, it's because what happens is we've lost that sense of what it is just to be, to be in mom's arms. What a mother does is when the baby's feeding, whether it's a bottle or a breast, it's not like normal men who are looking at their food all the time going, eat, eat, eat. Babies are looking at mom's eyes. And they get a deep sense of who I am is good because of who I am. There's no shame. Remember what shame said? Who I am is wrong. Guilt says what I've done is wrong. So this is a time, first of all, of understanding that we are being layered with a sense of who you are is good because God has made you. And if you doubt the very sense of your goodness and that who God has made you to be is very good, it may well be that you got stuck around this early stage of life. Somewhere you learned a message to say that you weren't good. Dad was protecting, now dad is still giving protection, but he's making sure that mom and baby are safe. That mom is able to be and to be able to be for that child. It's a time of learning intimacy. The word intimacy, some people say it's into me see, like the baby's looking into mom's eyes, etc. It also means intimid or untimid. What does untimid mean? Not afraid. What's the most common thing that God says to us? Don't be afraid. So if we're fearful of life and the way that we're living life, we're fearful before God, maybe there's a, a crisis around the intimacy that we received at that age as well. God wants to dialogue with us. It's a time of receiving appropriate words, touch, and gaze. Attention, affection, and affirmation. When people touch you, 
It's a powerful thing. Even that shake of the sign of the peace, you know, some, some people are very good at, you know, sort of peace, and you think, oh, I didn't feel I got much peace off you if I got a wet handshake. Then <laughs> some people think, ah, you know. But that t- touch, touch is different for all of us. But we're created, you know, with a body. The, the, the biggest organ of our lives is our body, our anatomy. It's the one thing you can't leave behind. You can shut your mind off and shut your emotions off. It's very difficult to shut your body off and go somewhere. I'll just leave my body here while I go to the bathroom. Yeah, right. <laughs> Touch, gaze and words really, really important to us and appropriately as well. This is a time of belonging, a time of hatching and practicing. There's something called the Oedipus complex, and this tends to kick in around about 18 months, two years, two and a half years of age. And it looks like this. Men... I'm wearing my pink T-shirt today. $2 at Salvo's, by the way, just to let you know. Seriously. I'm wearing my pink T-shirt today. Partly, well, partly to say this, only because I like the T-shirt, is, um, is that when we're conceived, everything is feminine. Everything. Hard to believe that we were all conceived then and it was just all feminine chromosomes, etc. About week number seven, the Y chromosome kicks in. And suddenly you can begin to differentiate between it being a female child or a male child. Okay? What's beautiful to know about that is actually that's why it's okay for us all to be part of the bride of Christ. That deep down we are all called to marry the Lord. We are the bride of Christ. But what happens is this though, is our bodies are male and we're born out of a female body, but everything we've known is being inside mum, inside that female body. And then, of course, as soon as the baby's born, they often put the baby on, on the chest my, my, or on the, on the stomach when my uh, daughter was born. And, and uh, my daughter crawled up to, to mum's breast and just started feeding, just knew naturally that's what you've got to do. Because all that had ever happened is she'd been fed from mum. The same is true with us. So we feed from mum, we sleep, you know, we eat, you know, we cry, and we, you know, and all the rest of it. That's what we do, because that's what babies do. And, um, and, and they clear us up. So it's a good deal. Hey, mum's always there. So by the time you hit 18 months, two years, is, and I've talked to little boys when they learn to talk and say, um, what do you want to do when you grow up? I'm going to marry mummy, is what often many of them will say. I'm going to marry mummy. They think it's a great deal, this. Get lost, dad. I want mum to myself. At that stage, in the invisible realm, dad's role is to, in some way to scoop up that little boy and say, hey, son, you're like me. You're not like mum. That's why it's important to have that father figure or the father there. It could be an uncle, it could be a grandfather, but it's important that an old, the adult male begin to say, son, there's something different to mum that exists in this world. Now, why am I spending so much time telling you this bit is because what happens, I've walked with literally hundreds of men who struggle with same-sex attraction. They might call themselves gay or queer, whatever they want to call themselves. But nearly always, many of their initial problems, if you like, begin at that stage because what's happened is they have not been strongly drawn into the world of men if you're an other sex attracted male what we might call straight or heterosexual you you basically you made the important journey in your infancy to understand hey hang on a minute mum's like different to my body and my body's like the men, men's body oh i must be male okay I'll be in a man's world. Now, there's a different calling into manhood that happens around 12, 13, etc., around puberty. You know, there's a, another deeper calling to step up into, into, into being a man and being a male. But this is an important stage that a boy has. 
The Electra complex is a complex that a woman has or can end up having if she does not realize that actually she is different to men and there's something very, very different to women in the world. That's why a healthy society needs to have mums and dads. That is no judgment on you or anybody else who didn't have mum and dad. And you may well be pained to some extent or a great extent even from that. It's okay to admit that you're pained from that. You know, many of the adults I've met who've been raised by two wonderful men or by two wonderful women, and I mean wonderful men or wonderful women, they've said, look, as much as I love my two dads or my two mums, something was missing for me and I'm deeply wounded by that. I'm not trying to have a go at that. That's why where our society is presently moving is very, very dangerous towards the well-being of our common humanity as a whole. And again, the amount of love we receive between this age determines how well we'll do in the next stage of our life. So if you received 80% in the womb, you're kind of thinking, oh, do I really trust this mom and dad stuff? You may only receive 60% in this stage to build your tower of healthiness, which means already you're limited in having a strong foundation in your life. Please keep breathing. Are you with me? Yeah, yeah good on you. Okay, really quickly, birth to 18 months then. It's a time of trust. If I cry, somebody will come to me. If I'm hungry, I'll get fed. If I need comfort, I'll be lovingly held. You parents are there for me. A mum and dad's role, the word agape was on the bottom of those previous slides as well. That's the eternal love of God. Mum and dad are depending on God, so they're in a good place to be able to love me as well as a baby. You're there for me. It's okay for me to be here. I have consistent care. I'm good enough. That's what God is saying to us. If you don't have that strong mum-dad stuff or any of it at all or whatever, you end up with mistrust. I cried and you didn't come. I was hungry and you made me wait. I needed comfort and you were angry. You weren't there for me. It's not okay for me to be here. I feel neglect and I feel really deep down traumatized, particularly if it's happened between zero and 18 months. This is a time of learning trust in relationships. Surprisingly, that little baby, some of you got little babies of brothers or sisters or nieces, nephews, you're thinking, what, all this is happening to them between zero and 18 months? I'm saying, yes, it is. Yes, it is. That's how dynamically made we are. It's a time of trust in relationships, faith in self, God and others. A time of learning confidence and self-worth. And 18 months to three years establishes how we see ourselves as doers in the world as well. We're either becoming autonomous, we've individuated from mum and dad and think, oh, I'm a little boy on my own, or, oh, I'm a little girl on my own. Generally, their voices are higher, but there we are. Autonomy, I begin to make choices and I assert my independence. No, 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 little kids, you know, that's what it's like, you know. And I explore and experiment. I'm taught the rules kindly and sensitively. I learn confidence and creativity I'm smart. Oh, well done. Good little boy, good little girl, etc. I learned to say, no, no, terrible twos, core. <laughs> or we doubt and shame ourselves. I want to please but keep getting it wrong. I can't do what they want me to. I needed comfort and you were angry. You weren't there for me. It's not okay for me to be here. We begin to self-doubt. So if you're thinking any of those comments there on the right-hand side, you may need to begin to dialogue with the Lord and to ask the Holy Spirit to come and to examine you, because he wants you to be able to live from the left-hand side, that autonomy. Three to five years of age in this first stage, it's a time of initiating. It's about how we interact with each other. 
I want, we want to copy adults, so you might get a little girl or even a little boy, I don't mind which one it is, with a plastic hammer. They want to go around and sort of knock things like dad might be knocking things with a hammer, or mum might be knocking with a hammer. But then what happens, you knock a piece of glass and it breaks, and dad goes, oh no, and you and you walk back to mum, and mum strokes you and says, who you are is good because of who you are. But we're learning boundaries, and that's really important too. We learn to ask the question, why? We learn to say, I can something, or I may do something, whatever it may be. We get in touch with our desires, as Paul was talking about yesterday. We begin to see what God's design is for our lives, and we're surrounded by a nurturing parent. If we don't have that, then we begin to enter into the world where we feel guilty. What I do is wrong. There's something wrong with me. Our natural desires and goals get frustrated. We get punished all the time. We're surrounded by the word that I ought to do this, I must do this, I should do that. It feels very heavy. We become an internal saboteur. We start attacking ourselves. Oh, it's all me. I'm just a bad lad, etc. And we just say to others, well, you just choose for me. I've got no choice. That's why we prayed earlier about an empowering of our will. Because we always have choice. And many of us believe that we've lost that. And we're surrounded by a critical parent and we start becoming a critical parent deep within ourselves. So words, words, words are really important at that phase of life. That's kind of the first major stage of our living, okay, in the cycles of development. The second stage looks like this. The love, the word philia. We have the word filial love, which is like a brotherly, sister, sort of sibling, kind of mate, friendship love, okay? We might call it mateship. Good old Aussie mateship, yeah, mate, you know? Mate, yeah. Okay, mate? Anyway, um, this is about interacting with siblings and peers. There's a little lad in my, my daughter's class at school, and he celebrated his fifth birthday with my daughter. And we got them together and, and tried to get a photograph. And he, he sort of stood there like this. And uh, um, I don't want to use his name. Um, uh, but so he, the little lad's there. I said, come on, you give us a smile. And he sort of just looked at me. He just stood there like a piece of rock. He's eight years of age now. He's there like a piece of rock. It's like there's nobody at home. And he stands, and I've seen him. I've, I've been to the school, and he, he stands there looking, thinking, where are my parents? He, he doesn't play with the other kids until his parents arrive, etc. He's no idea how to deal with his peers, this lad. And I'm looking at him thinking, what happened to you in that earlier stage of life that you've got no idea what it is to interact with other people? This is a time where imagination, our imagination begins to be, get explored. Mommy still gives us a sense of being, but dad gives us a sense that actually the world, you can do things in the world. It's exciting. Go and explore the world. It's a time about connecting with each other and fusing with each other. If you as a young lady find hanging around with the girls all the time really quite hard and difficult, it may well be that you are deeply wounded at this stage in your cycle of development. And if as a guy you find, you know, oh, sometimes the guys are a bit, you know, blokish or bullish or whatever it is, or I just, I, I just, you know, not comfortable with them all the time, it may well be that you receive significant hurt during this stage of your life, and God is interested in this. He wants us restored. It's a time of discipline, boundaries, discovering yourself. Who am I? You can often begin to tell where a child's life might be aiming by the time they hit sort of 9, 10, 11, because their true character should be being formed throughout the stage. It's a time of same-sex peer connection. Now, if that little boy didn't connect into dad and know he is as a guy, when he goes to school, it's going to be like, <gasps> I can't deal with these boys. 
Remember my story? Cut off even in the womb from man. My father, my adoptive dad, Mr. Parker, lovely dad, tried to reach out to me time and time again. By the time I hit seven or eight, he just gave up because all he ever met was a wall, a gate, and a tower from me. So when he gave up on me and kind of stepped away and just provided wonderfully for me, but I didn't let him anywhere near my heart, I could then say to myself, you see, he gave up on me as well. It must be true that I'm not lovable or wanted, which made my same-sex attraction even deeper and greater because then I'm in a male body and I've got no idea what it means to be a man. So I'm hungry for it. Can you see what was going on for me? When you understand this stuff, you begin to understand yourself and you begin to understand each other. And therefore, we can walk very deliberately with each other towards the cross itself. Uh, A time of becoming secure. I said in our gender identity, the word gender has been hijacked today. It's about being secure on whether you're male or whether you're female. And if you're looking forward to going to to primary school and getting to be with all the other kids and to play and to to discover, etc., it's very likely you've received a lot of love at that stage and you might do really well in primary school and become a bit of a fave kid in the class as well. Agape's there all the time. We should all the time be being exposed to what the love of God is. So what happens quickly between 6 and 11? We learn about industry and inferiority. I'm proud of my accomplishments. I complete projects and like what I've done. I'm confident in my ability to achieve goals. I'm at ease with my peers. Or we start beginning to feel small and inferior. I can't do it. I'm not confident in my ability to achieve my goals. I find relationships difficult. If those words on the right are words that are a major mantra that's singing about in your head, the stinking thinking, you need to invite the Holy Spirit to make a nest on your head and to peck out those worms. God wants to change that right-hand side until you can live fully out of the left-hand side. You can become somebody industrial. We should have a concrete sense of who we are And we should be able to deal with abstract things, things that are beyond us. And we start thinking, hang on a minute, how do things fit together in the world? The last key stage of our development, key stage, not the last stage, but the key stage of development, is uh, this one where eros comes in. And Paul, again, broke open beautifully for us yesterday about the word eros. The word eros is about covenant. That's why you are either called to be single for the Lord You're called to be religious or clergy, uh, or you're called to be married. There's none of this, well, I'm really not sure what, well, I'm not sure. God is is very sure that you have a calling. And that's not to condemn you. I condemn you, it's saying God does have a very clear pattern for your life that he wants you to go and look at and to explore very, very clearly. And if we can't enter into the covenant, even with ourselves before him, then we're stuck somewhere down the line. This is a time of becoming ultimately other-focused. Remember I talked about same-sex peer connection between at sort of primary school? Often it's where boys go, ugh, girls, you know, and they play with mud and get bruised and bashed about the rest of it. And girls tend to go, ugh, boys, they're smelly, you know. <laughs> don't wash their hands after the toilet, you know. Some still don't, sorry about that. Anyway, um, yes, gentlemen, wake up. No, not you guys, but... Um, uh, so time of becoming other focused. Suddenly it's like, ugh, girls, but she's really quite nice. I like her. <laughs> you know, or ugh, boys, but he's nice. You know? This, this began to happen to me in my late 20s. Remember I talked about that whole thing of being reconciled as a man. So, so this hit me later on in life. It was very helpful to understand this. 
Um, it's a time of reasoning. We learn to be able to listen to somebody else's side of an argument, and we may not agree with it, but we learn to listen to try and understand, or might even agree to disagree. I disagree with a lot of things in my father-in-law. We have a great relationship because we've learned to agree to disagree about things. It's really healthy. It's like, oh, I'm so looking forward to my discussion with you. I'm like, yeah, me with you too. We get on famously. We have harmony in, in, in our difference. We're united there in our difference. It's a time where dad is supposed to steer us. When we hit the age of 11, 12, 13 particularly, dad is, dad's role's very, very dynamic and clear at this stage. For, but for most kids, dad's are trying to earn more money to get the Nike trainers and the iPhone 7 or whatever it is that he's trying to get us and buy for us. It's the very time we most need to be around our dads. Because what happens is as young ladies' skirts suddenly begin to shrink in the wash and they're becoming mini, um, you know, and they're saying, I'm, j- I'm just going out. Dad goes, not like that, you're not. Put another six inches on the bottom of that before you go out. Okay? Now that he's saying to her, your body is something sacred. You are called to become the new Garden of Eden. Ladies, that's what you are. You are the pinnacle of creation. If you don't know that, we're going to pray into it a little bit later on for you. Because you need to come back to understanding that's who you are. Wow. That's why I'd wear it. Whoa. <laughs> not just a beauty, but suddenly it's like there's a completeness here through woman. The last thing that God creates. You, ladies. Don't forget that. Anyway, ooh, I could talk about the ladies stuff all night. Um, but then for the boys as well, what happens is a father's there. He's steering his lad because he notices this lad's eyes are looking at her and he's looking at her, beginning to look at her in an appropriate way. He goes, oi, where are your eyes? She belongs to God and you must see her through the eyes of God with the dignity that she has. For most of us, we've just been left to our own devices. We talked earlier about the oceans. Well, we're, there's very much an ocean that we're around. Our ocean's mostly been the one that's been swilling us left, right, and center into anything and everything. We're just trying to grab a crippling jab of intimacy wherever we can find it. And the world says, come here, throw your sexuality at our feet. You know, I'll offer you all this intimacy that you want. I've dealt with the deep brokenness of people's lives and my own life because I believe the lies of this world. Come and hear the truths of Jesus Christ. Self-survival, learning respect for other, especially the opposite sex, and about clear boundaries. The, the issue is this. When you hit puberty, you can't stop the testosterone kicking in. It's like, your voice goes from there, and so, so, so suddenly it goes down to there. But for ladies, you know, you're sort of, you know, little sort of Barbie dolls, and so it's like, bing, bing, ah! You know? <laughs> it all happens like, you know, I didn't want thighs like that. Yeah, tough. Anyway, um... And our bodies change, and we begin to reflect the glory of God. And the world says you're never quite good enough, and God says, oh, you are. You're my work of art. So what's happening this time here? Time of becoming. It's about identity. I'm proud of my accomplishments. I complete projects. I like what I've done. I'm confident in my ability to achieve goals. I'm at ease with my peers. Or it's a time of confusion. I feel inferior. I can't do it. I'm not confident in my ability, again, to achieve goals. And again, even more deeply, I find relationships difficult. We should be able to be a whole lover by this stage in our lives. If we received healthily of love, then by the time you hit 18, 19, 20, you're ready to marry or you're ready to make your lifetime decision. For many of you here, you're not. And there's no judgment on you because you're not. All I'm saying is, is you have found yourselves in a pocket of the, of, the, of the world where you're hearing there's an answer 
to any area where you're stuck. God is the answer. Jesus Christ sends his Holy Spirit, as you heard from my story last night, through the teaching of theology of the body and God's word, there's a restoration for your lives itself so that you can be independent, you can leave mum and dad behind. You don't have to be in your 30s and I cut the apron strings between my mothers. You can go up as a 19-year-old and say, hey, guess what, mum? I really love you. Bring me your opinion, but don't expect me to follow it because I'm going to be a man. Step into that. I'm with the guys now. Time of purpose and vocation, clear boundaries, healthy decisions, self-respect, otherness, affirming relationships. There's no such thing as 500%, but you can have a layering. Each one is 100%, whereby you're really strong in knowing who you are. And if you live a lot of these things already in your life, God bless you. You're called to go and to help others find their place in this world. Let me tell you a little bit about some of the latter stages because you might see mum and dad or grandparents in this and realize where some of the struggles you have in life might come from. Not that we're blaming anybody. We just want to have insight into some of the ways in which I think and act, particularly in my relationship with the Lord himself. If you come healthily to that point in early adulthood, being 18 and you're a bit of a whole lover, if you like, you're going to be able to be unafraid in this stages of intimacy, where you've got solid foundation, a strong self-worth. You can say, see into me, into me, see. Have intimacy with me. I'm not afraid of you. I'm not afraid of giving myself to you. Disapproval doesn't knock us. We're confident to show the real me. We can share and care without losing sense of self. And relationships, not sexuality or sexual expression between two people, our relationships are what the core of everything's about. The core of marriage is ultimately a deep relational friendship and a calling of each other into holiness and towards the cross itself. Otherwise, what happens, if we can't enter into intimacy, we find ourselves in a place of isolation, alone with no one to share with or care with, with a painful retreat behind, we painfully retreat behind defensive fortress, the gates, the walls, the towers. Nobody really knows us, and we're frightened that people will reject us because we think that we are bad and that we're unlovable. And we carry negative messages from home. By home, I mean the settings which we're brought up in. It can be school, friendships, etc. It's important that we take on healing here and that we own and deal with past hurts. That's 18 to 40. So if you've been isolated between 18 and 40, then when you hit that stage of 40 to 60 in your life, you're going to start stagnating if the gospel message doesn't come in and begin to work in your life. You begin to start saying, what happened to my dreams? I'm unproductive. I'm self-absorbed. I feel empty. My personal needs and comforts are predominant above everything else. I want my ways, not God's ways, or be able to serve other people. But if we're healthy, we can become generative, very productive. We raise children. We can transmit values, part of the bigger picture. We feel in charge of things without being a control freak. Community and church become important to us. We have a concern for other people. And we can be fruitful at home and beyond. We can also recognize our own need for healing and to deal with any past hurts that we may have. Between 60 onwards, it's a time of feeling of being a place of integrity, should do. Feeling whole and satisfied with life. I've accomplished many things. I did okay. My life's counted for something. I feel contented, fulfilled. I can reflect well. Um, death is the completion of my life. It's the passing onto something eternal. Or we hit a place of total despair. 
I've not resolved my past. I've not accomplished my goals. It's now too late. Depression, sadness, hopelessness, the missed opportunities. And yet, with God, it's never too late at all. Now, regrettably, we're never taught on these things, never taught that there's a, a cycle to our lives. And if we don't pay careful attention to those and bring those to Christ and discuss them with him, there can be a problem. So basically, there you see just what some of this healthy um, development should be about. We should be sufficiently attached. We've got a very clear identity. We belong among our own kind. We know how to healthily explore things to do with sex and sexuality. That doesn't mean being sexual. It means that we've got an understanding of what it is to be male and female, etc. We also know how to give from ourselves in a loving way. And our last slide before lunch is this. I want to ask you this question as we head towards the lunch table. What does your tower look like? The left-hand side, in a sense, is the perfect one. I felt wanted. I learned to trust. I've got a sense I'm individual from other people. I don't need to be integrated into their personalities as I was into my twin sisters and she was into mine. I know who I am my autonomy. I can initiate. I can be industrious. I've got a clear identity. I'm not afraid to be intimate. I can actually begin to generate and become productive in my life, and I'm walking a journey of integrity. Or is it all wobbly and misshaped? Shame in the corner, mistrust, doubt, guilt, inferiority, confusion, isolation, self-self-absorption, and the top line which you can't see says despair. And that despair is often deeply, deeply, deeply hidden. This is the stuff that God wants to work on us. It's a lifetime journey. I'm loving the journey, and it's nothing to be frightened of. So um, I said it was going to be the last slide. (laughs) Pray with me, if you will. Let's just close our eyes for a moment. Holy Spirit of God, you search us and you know us. You know when we sit and when we stand and when we lie down. And you know our innermost thoughts. We give you permission. Do this with me, guys, with your will strengthened now. We give you permission to draw to mind as we continue this day, whatever it is that you want to deal with today. We leave the big picture up to you. We're just concerned with today, the here and now, that's all the one next step you want us to take, that we should step into the light, into the fullness of life, and into your perfect love. A spirit we pray to in gratitude and in thanks for the food that we're about to receive. We ask that you would bless it to our bodies, our souls, our minds, our whole beings. Bless all those who've prepared it. And above all this day, bring food to the hungry, we ask. In Jesus' name, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I think it's lunchtime. That was James Parker with Love and the Personal Stages of Development. For more from the Immaculata Mission School, visit cradio.org.au.